Harrison Butker, the biggest kick of his Chiefs' life. Placement is down. Butker's kick is up. The spinning kick high. Floating in the air. And it is good! Good! It's a field goal from 45 yards out by Harrison Butker. So look, the NFL is an insane and ridiculously complicated sport. Okay? It's the kind of sport where you can watch it for 20 straight weeks. All of it building up to yesterday's conference championship games. Only to find yourself completely confused by at least a handful of things that you've just never seen before. And so today, with the Chiefs finally outlasting the Bengals, as you just heard, and the Eagles beating the Niners to within an inch of their sixth string quarterback, we ask our friend Alex Smith, a 16-year NFL veteran, to explain what really happened here and why this was the most impressive version of Patrick Mahomes, Alex's old backup, that he has ever seen. I'm Pablo Torre. It's Monday, January 30th. And this is ESPN Daily. So Alex Smith, um, we're here. We just watched the AFC Championship game. The Chiefs won Somehow, 23 to 20, they reclaimed the title. They broke the streak of losing against the Bengals. Um, Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, uh, both looked broken and exhausted by the end of this. Uh, you know both of these guys. You've interviewed them. You, you've obviously uh, played with Patrick before. What do you think it's like to be them right now? What's going through their minds? Man, I mean, they're obviously in completely different places. Patrick's on cloud nine. This team's played, they played four times in the last couple years and every game has been decided by three points, right? Like, I mean, these two yes. teams and coaching staffs are so evenly matched and know each other so well. And um, like I, the last couple uh, AFC championship games remind me of like these Rocky movies where like the Chiefs have come out to these big leads and like just slug the Bengals. And then all of a sudden they like, they don't manage to go down and they like keep their feet. And then all of a sudden, they make a couple plays and they land a couple punches. And like, all of a sudden now we're in this brawl in these second halves. Yep. And then again, it comes down to one play here or there. And, that, and that's the difference. Well, let's get to when Patrick sort of announced himself. And he did it a couple of times here, but it was like a slow going in the first half. But in the second half, it became, yes, like uh, a true back and forth title fight. And there was this one moment. It's third and 10. It's late in the third quarter. And the game is tied at 13. And Patrick scrambles and he fires this laser right at Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Mahomes will fire it late for the end zone. Caught! Marquez Valdez-Scantling on his backside. Touchdown, Kansas City. Marquez Valdez-Scantling on a 19-yard reception on third down and 10 at 4.15 to go third quarter. And that play, that throw, break that down for me. What did you see there? Yeah, I mean, it's third and 10. And, and you're kind of in the, the high red zone. This isn't the place you want to be. And it's this huge moment in the game. This is kind of where, especially in the QB world, this is who you are. You are in the situational football. Like the, the two-minute drives, the big third downs, the big clutch throws. And Patrick did it today. And here we are on a third and 10 again against a really, really good defense and on a bad ankle. And on the run, fires an absolute dart um, that just barely squeezes in past a diving Mike Hilton that hits MVS in the end zone for this, you know, 
she was playing the game and then you watch it and break it down. And it, it was, it was really, I mean, really, really well done by Patrick. Uh, the Bengals did a great job all night and best they could slowing down Travis Kelsey. And if you watch this play, the Bengals are in a man-to-man, uh, which looks like one deep safety, everybody else manned up underneath. Looks like they potentially even have kind of a, what we would call a hole player underneath. And Travis Kelsey split out to the left, to the top of the screen for everybody listening. And the whole player takes off at the snap and is actually doubling Kelsey. And this is what they did most of the night in key situations. They were not going to let Travis Kelsey beat them, especially given all the injuries they had in the receiving core. Um, you know, no Juju Smith-Schuster, no Kadarius Tony, no Nicole Hardman. Like, uh, literally, they were obviously getting guys, you know, practice squad players almost getting pulled up and having to play in this game. And so Patrick's looking to his left, though, because he's going to his guy, right? He's going to Travis Kelsey. We threw a touchdown too earlier in the night. And Travis is clearly getting double teamed. Right. You know, literally, there's just two two players honing in on him, following him anywhere he goes on the field. And so he comes back, and Sky Moore is running a crossing route across the field. Well, he gathers the attention of the post safety, who's who's Bates. And Bates jumps him on this crossing route as he goes across the middle. Well, this leaves Marquez Valdez-Scanley on the bottom of the screen now, one-on-one with Mike Hilton. And he's running a post in behind, kind of replacing Bates. Meanwhile, while all this is going on, Patrick kind of gets flushed. The left guard kind of gets pushed into his lap. So Patrick has to step up on the move, which he, he hasn't done great all night, right? Like, again, the, the ankle clearly, it clearly is bothering him. Yes, the high ankle sprain, the throwing foot. And on the run, as he's moving forward, just, you know, throws an absolute dart. I mean, this was an absolute howitzer that he threw on his, on his throwing ankle Right as he's running up, because as a right-handed quarterback, when you're running up in the pocket, you're throwing off your right foot. And so it's taking all of the force and all of the torque, and it didn't matter in this situation because uh, he was you know, not going to be denied and just do an absolute strike. It was absurd. Uh, which, again, and then he's, he's left limping off uh, after. Well, this is the, the, the limping and, and the mistakes otherwise, Alex. This is where it was this... True, like, uh, roller coaster experience, right? Because there was this other moment, and this is the Chiefs attempting just a quick screen, right? And Patrick fumbles. Yeah. And he fumbles in a way that was shocking, really, right? You just don't see it happen this clumsily. First, yeah, first playoff fumble ever, I think. Yeah, lost. Yeah, that had been recovered by the other yeah. team. And in this case, it was recovered, yes, for the first time in his playoff life by Sam Hubbard, who seems to always be around. When stuff like this is happening. Mahomes had the ball pop out of his hand. And the Bengals fall on it. Sam Hubbard pounces on the ball as Patrick Mahomes cocked his arm and the ball just fluttered out. Why did that fumble happen? What did you see there? This is RPO. This is RPO 101, Pablo. They got two receivers down at the bottom of the screen that are in a stack. And the the receiver on the line of scrimmage is essentially going to block the most dangerous man, we would call it. And the back receiver, who I believe was MBS, again, he's just going to kind of pop back. And it's it's really dealer's choice in this offense. Mm. So for Patrick, he knows he has the run play called. He can always hand it off. He'll never be wrong for handing it off. However, the numbers look good out there. And and again, it's it's just math, right? Like there's, I got two receivers out there. They're not going to walk two guys out over them. I'm going to flip it out there because it's free money, essentially how that, you know, that offense thinks. It's first and 10, take the free money. If it's there, (laughs) you really make the defense expand and cover the entire field. 
So he's trying to do this as fast as he can. And Patrick's one of the best at him, right? This guy, I mean, Patrick's played in the gun since birth. And uh, <laughs> he can do stuff with the ball, catch and throw that I've never seen done. Right. But, you know, in Arrowhead, in late January, the, obviously the temperature always can come into play. And it just got him here, you know, cold ball, him trying to throw it uh, as fast as he can, because mm. that's really the name of the game. The quicker you get the ball into his hands, so this is a quick draw kind of scenario. He's yep. trying to get it out of his holster as soon as he, as soon as possible. We literally had would have these competitions at practice, like in QB, like in our in our um, positional practice. Like we would, thing. it is it is literally who has the fastest drop, Pablo, and we would have these <laughs> awesome contests, and then we would like judge them that who was the best, and we'd fire out of the gun, and it was like literally a shootout. And uh, Patrick, like I said, is one of the best at it. And it just got him here. Because if you can throw a fast, ac accurate ball, these, these turn into 8, 10, 12-yard gains. If they're late, if they're inaccurate, these are where we see these, you know, they're hard to catch. You get tackled for no gain. Uh, and they're kind of a disaster. So you're trying to, you're trying to flip these out as fast as you can. And, uh, you know, got, got the best of Patrick. He was a huge play in this game. It felt like his, his fingers were not, like, getting purchase on the laces. Huh. He never, he never got a great grip on this ball. But I'd be, if you slow mode a hundred of these that Patrick throws, there's a lot of them he doesn't have a great grip on. And you live, mm. you live on this, this fine edge, right? Of like that world of quasi, <laughs> the quasi quick control. And again, um, he's so good at it. And then it, it got him here. And then the, just obviously the, the ball takes a weird bounce and you don't, you're not able to jump on it. And that, that changed the tide. And like you said, Sam Hubbard recovers it again. And all of a sudden the, the Bengals go down and score and we're back tied ball game. Well, the thing that happens the very next drive that you were just alluding to is Joe Burrow just is yeah. exactly who his reputation had suggested. He goes and leads the Bengals down the field. It's fourth and six. Okay. And they go for it. And the throw is, is to Jamar Chase because of course it is. But Jamar Chase is double covered, and it doesn't matter. <laughs> yep. Burrow in the gun on fourth and six. He catches the shotgun snap. He's back to throw. He flings it deep downfield. Chase makes the catch oh, at the six-yard line. What did you think of that decision and that throw by Joe Burrow to keep the game alive? Yeah, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't help. And this is dead honest truth. All I thought about was Joe Burrow's quote from last year, which was just, F it. Jamar's down there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, same. Everyone knows that mean. You know, F it. Jamar's down there somewhere. I'm going to just throw it up to him. He's going to make a play. Because on the flip side, I just talked about how the Bengals were double-teaming Kelsey all day, especially in critical situations. The Chiefs double-teamed Jamar Chase and T. Higgins the entire game. Mm. Literally, two guys on him. There was a man defender underneath and a safety over the top all game. And on this play... On the fourth and six, the safety, instead of being really, really high, you know, almost taking away a fade, actually almost, it's almost a bracket is what we would call it. So the corner jumps outside leverage because he knows he has the help of the safety on the inside leverage. Well, it's fourth and six. The safety can't let Jamar catch a slant for the first down, right? So he's really down in pretty tight. Yeah. You know, he's at like the eight yard mark, ready to jump anything kind of at the sticks. Well, they are, the Bengals have a great call on, I mean, Zach Taylor, this was amazing. And it's incredibly gutsy. They're running a little short in and go. So Jamar 
is faking like he's running a dig. Well, the safety has to, to stop him. That's his responsibility is to stop the in-cut. Well, obviously, he takes the bait and Jamar, you know, takes it vertical at that point. And he's, a spend, he's essentially split the bracket, which actually is the best thing you can do against the bracket is just run vertical. It's a no-brainer. It was a great ball by Burrow. In a critical situation, you, you, you go to your guy. And uh, you made the play for him. And obviously, they ended up being able to punch it in yeah. uh, a few plays later and tie the ball game up. Yep, 20 to 20. Critical, critical play in the game to go for it. The play design and play call, the guts of Zach Taylor to call that play. And then, obviously, the two guys that, that made it happen, Burrow and Chase. And, and uh, it was great. So this is like the top of the fourth quarter. And now we're in it, man. And now this game is getting, it's getting wild. Yeah. So what happens from here is... The Chiefs pick off this deep pass to T. Higgins, and this is a spectacular play in its own right. But we're going to fast forward through this one, which was like a tag team effort, um, like a pop the ball up. The same, the same two, the same two young the same, rooks, the same two the rookies, same, the same rookie safety <laughs> that got burned earlier on the double moves. They tried to do it again, and he made an unbelievable play, <laughs> popping this ball up. Huge play in the game. Right, and so the Chiefs get the ball back. They get stopped just outside of field goal range. They punt. It's about 2.30 left to go at that point. The Bengals get the ball back on their own six. They end up having to punt. And so here we are. Patrick Mahomes has the ball. 30 seconds left. Here is a Super Bowl on the line, right? And so this is where I need your help disentangling what the hell happens here. Because he attempts to run, Patrick does, for the first down. He gets knocked out of bounds. And he gets hit by Joseph Osai, who is the Bengals linebacker, uh, who had been like a really impactful player in this entire game, through this entire run for the Bengals. Mahomes trying to buy some time on that bad ankle, moving to his right. He is now scrambling, and he's going to get a first down, and now gets hit late! He gets hit late! But it's a flag, unnecessary roughness. The Chiefs move further up the field. Harrison Butker kicks the game winner. And that 30-second span that I just fast-forwarded through, right? Like, we've seen Mahomes win games before. But what was your sense of just how all of that unfolded? Yeah, I, I don't know if the, you know, any of the viewers could tell, but on the drive before, Patrick, even on the, the, the bum ankle, tried to run a couple times on drop back passes. Yes. And what, what is happening is when you're the quarterback, they're doubling Kelsey. So two defenders are basically got their backs turned, doubling Kelsey. Everybody else is manned up. And then there's a deep safety. Essentially, there's nobody to play the quarterback. Like it. If, if Patrick was healthy and you were playing him against this defense, he would have ran for 100 yards. Like, yeah, he would never have let you play this. And Patrick knows that. And I think he got to the point in the second half where he was like getting really fresh in the sense that he could capitalize on it. Mm. And Patrick, at this point, I don't know where it came from, turns on the Jets on this third down and uh, is running as fast as he's ever ran. <laughs> bad angle, bad angle and all. And gets this first down and gets out of bounds. There's still... Very much. I mean, I, I don't even think they would have attempted the field goal. Maybe Butker has a big leg and they were on the edge. I know it was a windy night uh, in Kansas City. Uh, but he gets, he gets shoved in the back and it's just this critical, critical error uh, at the end of the game, which cost them. And they get the free 15 yards. The clock stopped because he ran out of bounds. Um, and, it, and it turned it into being a, you know, a 45-yard field goal at this point. The Chiefs still made an attempt you know, to get a couple more yards and attempt a field goal. Uh, but uh, this certainly made it uh, far more makeable uh, and, and really kind of uh, sealed the Bengals' fate at, at that point. Yeah, I mean, when you take stock of the arc of this game 
inside of the arc of Patrick's career. Again, somebody that you know as well as anybody in this business. Playing on a bad ankle, throwing to MVS and Isaiah Pacheco over and over again. Jarek McKinnon was in there. Sky, they threw to, I'm counting the numbers. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, yeah. ten. Ten Marcus, different receivers. Marcus Kemp caught a Marcus huge pass Kemp, in this game. He was a practice squad my, my last year in Kansas City. <laughs> practice squad receiver who was a great special team player. But he had, that's what he is. He's a core special team guy. And uh, had to step up, and he did. Had a huge catch for a first down. Right. So when you take stock of all of those factors and how you just described how everything went, how do you grade his performance? Oh, I, I mean, I think, I think for me, this this is more memorable than I've anything I've seen him do. Mm. To see what he did tonight on the ankle, stacked up against him, underdogs again. The Bengals had their number. They're three and zero. The whole world, the whole world was picked the Bengals for this game. I mean, everybody, everybody I know. That's how it felt in Kansas City, at least. Yes. Thought the Bengals were going to win. Chiefs had no chance. You know, Patrick wasn't going to be able to play. Everybody, all these people spouting off about Patrick's not going to be able to walk all week. Just gutsy, gutsy performances. And for me, it's just rare, rare to see that kind of will uh, displayed, especially at the professional level. You know, obviously professional sports come with a lot of egos and ulterior motives and all this uh it can get uh you can get distracted by a lot and and patrick's just pure he's pure competitiveness <laughs> and you know the Bengals have had their number and he didn't back down from it even on a hurt ankle and uh wasn't scared of the moment took the shot and and uh, it was cool to see him hit it the break you mentioned egos and the jeopardy that they get plunged into we'll get to what uh yeah the niners were plunged into in philadelphia now let's talk about the play of the week the pressure to follow up hypnotic and cognac weighing heavy on the team hypnotic was in the cup blue and ready for the play and boom Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. So I think of this day as like a double feature, right? The second game was an awesome movie. A movie that I need help decoding. I go to the Reddit right after. I need to talk to you, get, figure out exactly what I saw. But the first one, like you fell asleep uh, somewhere around like the third quarter, maybe, Alex. And it was a 31 to 7 blowout by the Eagles. And I guess we should start with the reason why it was not even that close, really. And it's because Brock Purdy... His arc came to a, a sudden end because of this hit by Hassan Reddick, this sack, this fumble, and this injury to his throwing elbow, which the Niners now believe is his ulnar collateral ligament, which is Tommy John territory for anybody who uh, knows baseball. And so this was Josh Johnson, man. This was Josh Johnson coming in, 
their fourth stringer now in the first half. And you were the starting quarterback for the Niners, it turns out, when they had first signed Josh Johnson back in 2012. So what were you thinking as you saw all of this happen? I mean, it was stating the obvious. It was this huge moment in the game and Purdy hurts his elbow, you know, that early. And then Josh coming in. And I'm not going to lie. I I was excited for Josh. I I thought, here we go, man. This like Josh is a really, really good player. He, I mean, I I think he has the NFL record for most teams he's been on. He's played for 23 different professional football teams, NFL and otherwise. Yeah, It's absurd, but uh, I go back a long way with Josh. He's been playing football for a long time and uh, has deservedly hung around because, again, he is a good player who's been waiting for his opportunity and uh, was hoping this was going to be it, uh, that he would have a chance to shine and, and, you know, keep the Niners competitive in this game. But you mentioned what ends up happening to Josh Johnson just then, which is that he gets hit, hits his head against the ground, concussion protocol, he's gone, and in comes a mixture of Christian McCaffrey, who is, in case you've been hibernating for uh, every fantasy draft you've ever been in, um, a running back, and also Brock Purdy, who comes back and is just, you know, essentially a running back himself at this point, Alex. How would you describe what the Niners offense was trying to do by that point? You know, every team, if you decide to address two QBs on game day, which is most of the NFL, you have what's called an emergency QB that at some point played QB, probably in high school. And they have, they get a wristband and they, you, they don't even ever, ever get to run full like plays with all 11 guys in the huddle because it's just such a waste of time. So they have this wristband and they have a kind of a coach is designated as like the emergency guy. And he goes over and makes sure that he can run these like six plays. But they're, it's like really like run, sweep right, sweep left, up the middle, right, up the middle, left. Like you can't do anything. It, it, it's completely dysfunctional. Um, and you just really hope you never get in this situation. And <laughs> here we are thrust with Brock Purdy can't throw. But it's better than your emergency quarterback situation. (laughs) Because if you had to put that out there, I mean, that's something that the NFL does not want happening, especially given at the NFC Championship game. I mean, it would have been an absolute embarrassment. So you bring Brock in because he can at least call plays in the huddle and he can get you up to the line of scrimmage and he can at least do a cadence and handoff. And I know that sounds really easy, but Christian McCaffrey's never done that. And so the, the chances of him playing you know, Wildcat QB and that going well, it's, it's not going to happen against one of the best defenses in football. That was the question. Why aren't you doing the Wildcat stuff instead of... It would have been a disaster. Christian got there this year. Again, I'm telling you, the wristband has 10 plays on it. None of them, like they tried them. They tried the, the reverses and end arounds and, you know, sweep right. Like it just, you're better off. And then I think they got to this point. Like again, at least all the running plays that Brock Purdy knows that are on your game plan, he can at least go operate. And that was apparent. And I know he threw a couple screens. So I think if you're Kyle, you're like, well, maybe we can run the ball and throw some screens. But you really, to say he's handcuffed, it would be a vast understatement. But for me, the huge point of this, and I know there'd been rumblings of it, is just how stupid it is that we did away with the third quarterback rule on game days. And so... At the start of my career, for the first five years of my career, you were allowed to dress 45 players on game day. You know, there's 53 on the roster. You had to dress 45 on game day. 
Well, you were given because they had this third QB rule because of situations like this, where you could dress the 46th for free, essentially, mm. if it was your third, if it was your emergency quarterback. We now see the reason why that rule obviously needs to come back. We are watching this in the end. It, it's a sport, but it's entertainment. And the NFL wants good product out there. And and what we got in, in the, the first feature of our doubleheader was yeah. terrible. And it was because of the, they went away, they did away with this rule. And so you're left with, when you do have two quarterbacks, all it takes is two crazy hits. And we're thrust into just uh, a disaster film. Snakes on a plane. It's hot garbage. <laughs> there are too few quarterbacks on this motherfucking plane. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because they could they could add anybody. If they got to dress a third quarterback, there's a lot of QBs that they could have had for the last 10, 12 weeks, at least that know the offense, that have been playing QB professionally for quite a while, and they could step in and at least give you a chance. Because um, again, this, like it's, it's hard to even be to like give great analysis because it was so uncompetitive. But this is where our ESPN Daily group chat was like, do you think an F-18 could take Alex into Philly for the second half of this game? I mean, it would anybody, <laughs> Steve, Steve Young, get Joe back out, anybody, it would have been a, yeah, probably exactly. a lot of volunteers. It would have been a lot better. But again, they did away with this rule. And I know there have been rumblings about getting bringing this back. And I don't know why they don't. It doesn't cost the NFL anything to dress one more guy as an emergency quarterback. Absolutely. You can actually literally just sit over there, like, you know what I'm saying? And stay out of the way until he's needed in these emergencies. I've never been so excited coming into championship weekend because I honestly felt like any one of these four teams could have won the whole thing. Same. Their rosters were that good. They had, they, like, they had the makeup. Nobody, there was no Cinderella story here. Like these, these were bona fide football teams and coaching staffs that, again, needed, just needed the player here or there that they, to go win the whole thing. And San Francisco is that. And, you know, two, two funky hits to QBs and were just kind of, I, I, again, this was, this left it. It was it very much was JV varsity at that point because they couldn't do anything. And Oh, it was helpless, Alex. It was helpless. I mean, regardless of the, the better of the two evils that Kyle Shanahan had to choose, right? Um, Wildcat or the stuff that we actually saw, the Eagles were not fooled by any of it. And they no. were not afraid of any of it. And they were, they were, you know, getting uh, so excited about it that Trent Williams threw a punch yeah. to get himself kicked out of the game by the end of it. But, but the, the, the other quarterback in this game, Jalen Hurts, who is an MVP candidate, um, who has been dealing with this throwing shoulder issue, um, I have questions about for you because... He looked a bit messy himself at times. You know, for the Eagles, like, they scored four touchdowns on the ground. There were no passing touchdowns until we got to the AFC Championship game. <laughs> but Jalen Hurts, I'm just curious how you saw him in this game as he was overthrowing receivers at times, almost intercepted a couple of times, um, was, you know, under attack by the 49ers pass rush. I'm just curious what your review of his game was. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a few factors that we have to take into account. The first was, again, just how competitive it was. So the, the Philly offense didn't have to do a lot. I mean, the bare minimum was enough at that point. They'd already established a lead. It was clear the Niners couldn't do anything. There was no, there was no need to go do anything extra. So uh, it, it was hard to judge them based off that. Uh, also, they were playing the number one defense in football. So this was a defense that, I mean, they've been 
held, holding people to 12 points, um, really good football teams. And I think we all were wondering about this Philly run game and how it would match up against the best defense in football. And they won the day. Yeah. They, they were too much. I mean, four rushing touchdowns. When you get into the red zone, Pablo, the hardest thing to do in the NFL is run the football. I mean, the field is just so small. There's so many bodies. Like, it, it is so tough. And the, the Eagles do it at will. At will. I mean, Miles Sanders had a couple runs from, I mean, pretty high out in the red zone where he didn't even get touched. No. And, and what you watch this, so, I mean, obviously, the, the, the core of this running game is these, these five offensive linemen, right, and how, and how physical and gifted they are. But really, it's this, this, this schematic, the scheme of this. And we talked about this last week on how many decisions Jalen Hurts makes a game, not only in the pass game, but in the run game. And if you watch today, they're constantly shifting and moving who they read. Sometimes it's defensive ends. Sometimes it's stacked linebackers. Sometimes it's down safeties. And they all, you know, when you put this on, all on top of each other, they, they, they literally, you can't be as instinctive as a player. Like I watched Fred Warner, one of the best, maybe the best linebacker in football. They handed the ball off. Fred Warner didn't move because he was so scared. If he ran after the run, they were going to throw a slant in behind him, right? Like that's what all this RPO, this diverse run game does to you. Yeah. And at the center of it is Jalen. So I know it wasn't his best game, but the fact that they ran four touchdowns, you can't just say Jalen didn't do anything. I know he ran the cute. He ran my favorite play, the mush, <laughs> the, the for a yard, one yard touchdown run. But the other touchdown runs, he's making a read. They're reading somebody, defensive end, stacked linebackers constantly. And when you say that they're reading somebody, that the person they're reading is changing, explain that, translate for the non-football. So yeah, I'll give you, a, I'll try to paint a picture as best I can here. So if you can picture Jalen's in the shotgun, and the running back's to his right in the shotgun. And at the snap, the whole offensive line is running for, the, for like sweep to the left. And the running back at the snap is going to run right across Jalen Hurts' face. And they're going to mesh for like sweep to the left. Well, Jalen is reading the stacked linebacker. Because if he runs hard for the run, Jalen's actually going to pull the ball out and throw a slant to A.J. Brown right behind him for this knifing play, which it, this is the essence of RPO. And so, so here you got Fred Warner, who's really can't play too fast, right? He's really kind of got to be like slow to play this run. Well, he literally is sitting there because Jalen's been reading him all day and he doesn't want to get the slant thrown in behind. Mm. So he sits there. Meanwhile, Jalen literally hands the ball off to Miles Sanders, who gets behind this convoy of this offensive line and walks in untouched from like 12 yards out. Like, it, it, that doesn't happen in the NFL. To just walk in untouched from that far out against the best defense in football. And it's the product of the accumulated reads, those yep. individual decisions that Jalen Hurts has made with Fred Warner to freeze him such that it looks as easy as it looked in the end. And it's the same on the other half, the plays with Nick Bosa. You know, here's a guy that's one of the, the best pass rusher in football, probably going to win defensive player of the year. Well, he can't just rush up to pin his ears back and rush after the QB spot because if the running back's to his side or away from him, they're running different zone reads. And, and on that run play, he may be unblocked, and now all of a sudden, they're reading him. Mm. So instead of Fred Warner being unblocked and, and Jalen reading him, now it's the defensive end. But you don't know on what given play call who's, who's 
you know, going to be in the bind. And so they're just so diverse. The Eagles are so diverse in their run game. Um, they have three great backs that we have seen them platoon in these last couple of weeks. And then Jalen at the core, uh, making the decisions, and he's such a tough runner himself. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's lethal. Even when he's not his best in the pass game, even when they miss some throws downfield, which are going to happen, um, they just have this, it just, it's so dependable to, to, to have this kind of run game. Again, 44 rushes for 150 yards against the best defense in football. And it like, and they four just touchdowns. <laughs> took over and four touchdowns in the red zone. Like they just took over this game. Um, so I think with all that being said, I'm, I'm not paying too much attention about Jalen. This was a good test, this defense he was playing against, and they won the day. This is, again, I think the most, maybe the most complete offense in football, and and they showed it again today. All right, well, you mentioned all of the reads that Jalen Hurts made today. We want you to read this matchup that we're going to get in the Super Bowl. And what exactly, yeah, that quarterback is up against now, coming up. Delicious meat, nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is not only are Wonderful Pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. So, Alex, one of the things about the uh, game we just discussed, this Eagles-Niners game, is that it's so bizarre and broken top to bottom that I am curious. Like, you're the Kansas City Chiefs now. You're back at your old facility, right? And those guys show up to work. And it's like, well, let's check out what we missed. Let's check out the game film from the NFC title game. How useful is any of that for prepping for the Super Bowl? Oh, they're going to watch it, at least the first half. I'll tell you what they're going to see. They're going to see a D-line that took out two QBs. Mm. They're going to see a D-line that has the second most sacks since the 85 Bears. An issue here again, Patrick's going to have two weeks to get the angle better. Will it be fully better? Will he be back to his complete self? Will they be able to protect him? This is a relentless Eagles defensive line that has not been slowed down this year. For as bad luck as we can say with the Niners, they took out two QBs with their pressure. 
and, and physicality. Correct. For me, that's the first thought process. And this offensive line, this Chiefs offensive line, on, on the flip side of that coin, is vastly improved from a couple of years ago. Um, in fact, I think it's the strength of them. Mm-hmm. I'm intrigued to see that matchup. And in terms of what the Chiefs came into this game on Sunday doing, knowing Patrick's limitations with his ankle, how different do you think is it going to be? How restrained was the offense that you saw today versus what you expect to see with two more weeks of, of rest? You know, the offense in general, I actually didn't think looked that restrained from a sense of what Andy calls. You know, they could even called a couple sprint outs. Yeah. The biggest thing is just with Patrick, say you call 60 plays in a game, 60 offensive plays, you're, you're going to have a dozen that he's the only guy maybe in the world that he can do. And they're very improvisational and they, they all use his feet. I mean, this is a guy that moves around and throws on the run better than anybody. And they have a lot of big explosive plays, especially in key situations, third down and red zone, that come from him doing that. And so will that be back? That's the big question. Now, two weeks, as, as I will say, it looks positive. I mean, as good as he looked after a week, I think to have two now, I'm encouraged by what I saw. For all the people out there that were freaking out over the, the high ankle sprain, and certainly they can be bad, but as good as he looked today, throwing the football, the velocity he could get on the football, he could still move around at times. I imagine he'll be even that much better a couple of weeks from now. That's a big piece of the Chiefs offense. That, you know, this kind of Mahomes magic, the improvisation plays that he can do. Uh, when they're not there, they're different. Well, the, the percentage of the offense relative certainly to the receivers that he has, you know, I guess Juju Smith-Schuster has a knee. McCall Hardman has a pelvis. Kadarius Tony has an ankle. In terms of their injuries, Justin Watson didn't suit up at all. We have been running the experiment all season. What is this offense like without Tyreek Hill, who was the obvious number one receiver, uh, your old former number one receiver? And now it seems like we're truly pushing the limits on what this guy needs to be as explosive as he, as he needs to be to win a Super Bowl. And as a quarterback, how do you view that problem? I mean, I think all, well, they, they proved it in the sense that I think they, they were the best offense in football. I mean, the numbers say that. They were the number one scoring offense in football without Tyreek Hill. I think that it, the thing that has really made them different this year, when you go to their, their target list, there's 10 guys on there. Isaiah Pacheco has turned, this rookie running back has turned into quite a little player for them. Right, seventh rounder. Jared McKinnon's caught more touchdown passes for a running back, I think, uh, all year than anybody. Kadarius Tony's added an element, right? Juju Smith-Schuster, we talked about MVS and his, he stepped up huge today. I think in, in, in a bunch of those injuries that they've had, he, he really, to go over 100, a bunch of huge catches, um, I, they really needed him. McCole Hardman, right? He'll be back. And then obviously, then you have Travis Kelsey. Well, when you're playing good defensive coordinators, in some ways, when it's just Tyreek and Kelsey, like your job's pretty easy. Like, let's not let these two guys beat us. Well, when the target list is 10 guys, right? <laughs> and week to week, they're all kind of getting different amounts of catches. Like, it's hard to stop them all. And I think it actually has made the Chiefs better, in my opinion. Mm. Yeah, and so if you're in the Eagles building right now and you're uh, standing next to Nick Sirianni and you're game planning for, for, for the Super Bowl, man. They're a second Super Bowl since uh, 2018, which they won. How should they be feeling in that building? Oh, I think they should be feeling confident. <laughs> the Eagles were the best, the best offense in the NFC all year. And again, the most balanced and most diverse. They are going to be a problem for the Chiefs defense. 
What's the biggest mismatch, do you think, that the Eagles pose? They just get you in so many different ways. Steve Spagnuolo, the, the Chiefs coordinator, loves to bring pressure. He loves to yep. do, you know, he, he's, he's brilliant in that card. He can, he can drop all kinds of stuff. But you get pressure happy with the Eagles, you, you're going you're gonna to leave this young, young secondary, a bunch of rookies on the back end, one-on-one with Devontae Smith, going to have to tackle A.J. Brown. Uh, Dallas Goddard is is really good in his own right, or they're going to have to tackle Jalen Hurts in the open field, you know. And and if they sell out for the run, um, I, I'm not sure they want that. And again, I, I kind of pick your poison with this Eagles offense; uh, they're that good. So um, I think this is really going to be something. It's going to be kind of a you know blow for blow. Like I, I don't think you're going to stop them all day. If you're the Eagles, I, I think you're feeling really really confident. Uh, about your chances, about how you match up. And uh, look, there are all these subplots too, right? It's the Kelsey Bowl, obviously, that's the obvious one. But the other one that I want your insight on at the end here is that this is the Andy Reid revenge Super Bowl, it feels like, yep. right? I mean, this was, his, this was his old team. And here he is, back again. And what knowing Andy the way that you do, how do you think he approaches this, given that particular context? Well, you know, when, when Andy left Philly, I mean, he was the coach that couldn't win the big one. Exactly. And then he comes to Kansas City, and I, thankfully, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm so thankful that, that uh, he got me there with him because it changed my career. But, you know, we had a run of success, but the, the story was the same. Mm-hmm. You know, in my time there, we couldn't get it done in the postseason. That's right. Meanwhile... Doug Peterson, his protege, goes back to Philly and wins a Super Bowl. <laughs> Andy, since then, has kind of got that, you know, he, he got that monkey off his back and he, he won his Super Bowl. But what this Chiefs team has become, they have hosted five straight AFC championship games. Patrick Mahomes, I think, is number two on the conference championship list of touchdowns. We saw him. I mean, he passed Joe Montana tonight uh, on a list. Travis Kelsey past Gronk and Edelman on the postseason all-time list for yards and touchdowns, I think. So for everything that they've accomplished, they have one Super Bowl. Yep. You know, they aren't the dynasty that they necessarily could be. Nope. Patrick will be going to his third Super Bowl here in six years. And so they have a chance to enter that category, right? That category of kind of this, this, is, this was their time. And then again, to go back to Andy playing the Eagles. He is a top five in every coaching list there is. You know, one of the greatest coaches of all time and will go down as such. And here he is playing his old team. And so I think there will be a lot of love there. Um, I think Philly will understand that. They got their Super Bowl already. This team is red hot. Nick Sirianni, they got a great young coach and team that they've built. I I think for Andy, this will be fun. I I think, again, I think if he didn't have his Super Bowl, it would be much harder, but he got his at this point. And I think he's thinking about bigger things. I just know that, yes, those... Those Philly fans, Alex, the brotherly love you just alluded to, I just know they have like a whole arsenal of stuff ready. Stuff that they had used on him when he was their guy. I just, the the Philly fans in this Super Bowl are going to be out of control. (laughs) They will be, and I love it. And Andy will love it. Grease the poles, Alex Smith. Get those poles, those lampposts as greasy as humanly possible. That's exactly right. I can't, I can't wait for it. I'm pumped. 
Alex Smith, I can see the finish line of a very strange NFL season from here. And uh, yeah, we'll have you back when it's time to cross it. Thanks for doing this. Pablo, thanks as always, man. I'm Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily. And I'll talk to you tomorrow.